Chapter two fifteen of Varney the Vampire, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume three, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter two fifteen. The Young Lover's Midnight Watch. Did the clergyman really think what he said? Had he no suspicions that, after all, there was a something more even than he was quite willing to admit in the story told by Will Stevens? We shall see in good time, but at all events, one thing is evident, that the parson thought it good sound policy, and it was, to endeavour to nip the thing in the head, and by ascribing it to a dream, put it down as a subject of speculation in the place. He knew that nothing could be more dangerous than allowing any such story to pass current as a wonderful fact, and well he knew that in a short time, if such were the case, it would receive so many additions and so many embellishments that the mischief it might produce upon the mind of an ignorant population might be extreme and of a most regretful character indeed all this he felt hourly and therefore will stephen's story was to be put down as a dream now mr bevan it will be recollected had urged will to keep his own counsel and to say nothing of the affair to any one but he had faint hopes only that will would do that very faint hopes indeed for after all he will was the hero of the story and there would be a something extremely gratifying in telling it and in stating what he would have done had not his foot slipped as he came down the narrow stairs from the old belfry and so completely stunned him by the fall mr bevan therefore had very few if any compunctions in adopting the course he did which was in the evening when there was no service at the church to call at the grange to see sir george crofton upon the subject mr bevan was always a welcome guest at the grange and he was on those intimate and good terms with the family that he could always call whenever he pleased so that a mere announcement of his presence by no means had the effect of preparing sir george for any communication ah mr bevan he said when the clergyman entered the room i am glad to see you and i to see you sir george you come to a house of mourning sir but that will be the case here for a long long time time may and will no doubt do much to assuage our grief but the blow is as yet too recent tears started to the eyes of sir george crofton as he made this allusion to his daughter and he turned his head aside to hide such evidences of emotion from the parson from whom however he need have expected nothing but the most friendly sympathy that one human being could bestow upon another mr bevan was a man of refinement and consideration and he let grief always have its way seldom doing more than merely throw out in the form of a suggestion for consideration as it were 
that death was not the great evil it was thought to be. In such a way he generally succeeded in bringing persons smarting under the infliction of the loss of dear friends and relations much sooner to proper sense of the subject than if he had indulged in all the canting religious exhortations that some divines think applicable to such occasions. Sir George Crofton was alone, for his two sons had gone for a stroll in the grounds. Ringwood, who still remained with the family, was in the library, where now he passed most of his time, in trying, by reading, to withdraw his mind from a too painful and fixed contemplation of his loss. He was still weak, but might be considered now quite convalescent. Pray be seated, Mr. Bevan, said Sir George. Believe me, I take it very kindly of you to come so often. Pray, dear sir, don't say another word about it. I, I am very sorry to feel myself obliged to allude to anything of an uncomfortable nature. Think nothing of doing so, my friend. Think nothing of it. I have a master grief which drowns all others. But it is concerning that master grief, sir, that I come to speak. Indeed. Yes, sir. Will you kindly hear me? Certainly, certainly. You told me on the day following the melancholy death of your daughter, as a friend, the peculiar circumstances attendant upon that death. Now I do not mean to say that what I am going to relate to you has any connection at all with those circumstances, nor would I tell you what I come to tell at all, were I not fearful that the same story, with some of the usual exaggerations of ignorance, would reach you from other quarters, for it is not a matter consigned to my bosom only, or there it should remain. You alarm me. That I feared, but deeply regret. Listen to me, and remember always as you do so, that I think the whole affair is a mere dream, a disturbed slumberer's vision, nothing more. Sir George Crofton did listen, with breathless eagerness, and Mr. Bevan, without detracting anything or adding anything to the narrative of Will Stevens, told him the whole story, just as Will had told it to him, concluding by saying, That is all, my dear sir, and I felt that my duty powerfully called upon me to be your informant upon the subject, simply that we might be forewarned against any coarse version of the story. Sir George drew a long breath more horrors, more horrors. Nay, why should you say that? Is it not so? Nay, I have already given my opinion by saying that I look upon the whole affair as but the phantasma of dream. Oh, Mr. Bevan, do not trifle with me. Is that really and truly your opinion, sir, or only said from kindness to me? It is the best opinion that I can come to. I thank you, sir, I thank you. Clara, Clara, my child, my child. The old man was overcome with grief, and at the interesting moment Ringwood entered the room with a book in his hand. 
he was astonished as well he might be to see such a fearful relapse of grief on the part of sir george crofton and he looked from him to mr bevan and from mr bevan to him for some few moments in silence and then he said surely all here have suffered enough and there is no new calamity come upon this house tell him all cried sir george tell him all it is fit that he should know he is one of us now he loved my child and loves her memory still i pray you mr bevan to tell all to ringwood for i have not the heart to do so i wonder said ringwood calmly to hear you speak thus i wonder to see that any new grief can come so near to that which we have already suffered the image of my lost one fills up each crevice of my heart i shall listen to you mr bevan with respect but my grief i fear is selfish and cannot feel more than its own miseries ringwood seemed to imagine what the parson had to say referred to something with which clara had nothing to do but when as the story proceeded he found how intimately connected she was with the affair his cheek flushed for a moment and then grew of a death-like paleness and he sat trembling and looking in the face of mr bevan as he proceeded with his most strange relation when he had concluded ringwood gave a deep groan you are much affected sir said mr bevan crushed crushed was the reply oh god nay now this is not manly sir you feel this thing too much if you are so crushed how can any one expect that from you is to proceed the necessary exertion to prove that the story in all its particulars is but a falsehood ringwood caught at this idea in a moment exertion from me he said what exertions would i not make to prove such a horror to be but a creation of the fancy what would i not do what would i not suffer you have warned me sir yes i have a duty to do a duty to clara's memory a duty to you sir george and a duty to myself for did i not love her and does not her gentle image still sit in my inmost heart enshrined i will prove that this most monstrous story is a delusion bear with me gentlemen i must think to-morrow you shall know more but not until to-morrow he rose and left the room what does he mean said sir george vacantly i cannot tell you sir but wait until to-morrow perhaps by then he may have proposed some plan of action that you or i may not think of you will use your own discretion about communicating the strange affair to your sons or not sir upon such a point as family confidence i never venture an opinion allow me to call upon you to-morrow morning sir when i hope to find you in better spirits the clergyman would not have been in such haste to leave sir george but as he saw ringwood leave the room that young man made a sign to him that he wished to see him before he left and accordingly mr bevan was anxious to know what it was he had to say to him when he left sir george he asked a servant where mr ringwood was 
and being told he was in the library, Mr. Bevan, being quite familiar with the house, followed him there at once, and found him pacing that apartment in great agitation, and with disordered steps. "'Thank heaven you have come, sir,' cried Ringwood. "'Tell me, oh, tell me, what would you advise me to do, Mr. Bevan?' "'I think,' replied the clergyman, "'you have already half decided upon a course.' "'I have, I have.' then follow it, if it be such a one as, in its result, will produce a conviction of the truth. Do not, Mr. Ringwood, allow anything to turn you aside from a course which you feel to be right. You will always find strength enough to persevere if you have that strong conviction upon you. What is your plan? It is this night to watch in the church. Be it so. I will, if you like, keep watch with you. Oh, no, no, let me be alone. All I ask of you, sir, is to provide me with the means of getting into the sacred edifice at midnight. That I will do. You shall have a private key that I have for my own use. You can let yourself in without anyone knowing of your presence. But do you think you have nerve enough to go alone? If you have the smallest doubt or hesitation, let me accompany you. No, no, I thank you, but let me go alone, and say nothing of this to Sir George. I had it in my mind when I told him I would speak to him to-morrow about what you had communicated. I would fain, if these horrors be really true, keep him in ignorance that I have verified them, but if I keep my night-watch quite undisturbed, then he shall have the satisfaction of knowing that it has been so kept. You are right in that. I will send the key to you in the course of another hour, and remember I am at your service if you should alter your mind and wish for company. Do not hesitate about disturbing my rest. End of chapter 215